My name is Dorothy Kim, and this is Josephine Kim, and we're going to read today's uh, scripture, which is Judges chapter 3, verses 12 through 20. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, and the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. Eglon enlisted the Ammonites and Amalekites as allies. Then he went out and defeated Israel, taking possession of Jericho, the city of Palms. And the Israelites served Eglon of Moab for 18 years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud, son of Gera, a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. The Israelites sent Ehud to deliver their tribute money to King Eglon of Moab. So Ehud made a double-edged dagger that was about a foot long and strapped it to his right thigh, keeping it hidden under his clothing. He brought the tribute money to Eglon, who was very fat. After delivering the payment, Ehud started home with those who had helped carry the tribute. But when Ahad reached the stone idols near Gigal, he turned back. He came to Eglon and said, I have a secret message for you. So the king commanded his servants, be quiet, and he sent them all out of the room. Ahad walked over to Eglon, who was sitting alone in a cool upstairs room, and Ahad said, I have a message from God for you. As King Eglon rose from his seat, Ahad reached with his left hand, pulled out the dagger, strapped his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. The dagger went so deep that the handle disappeared beneath the king's fat. So Ahab did not pull out the dagger, and the king's bowels emptied. Then Ahab closed and locked the doors of the room and escaped down the latrine. After Ahab was gone, the king's servants returned and found the door to the upstairs room locked. They thought he might be using the latrine in the room, so they waited. But when the king didn't come out after a long delay, they became concerned and got a key. And when they opened the doors, they found their master dead on the floor. While their servants were waiting, Ahud escaped, passing the stone idols on his way to Sirah. When he arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, Ahud sounded a call to arms. Then he led a band of Israelites down the hills. Follow me, he said, for the Lord has given you victory over Moab, your enemy. So they followed him. And the Israelites took control of the shallow crossings of the Jordan River across from Moab, preventing anyone from crossing. They attacked the Moabites and killed about 10,000 of their strongest and most able-bodied warriors. Not one of them escaped. So Moab was conquered by Israel that day, and there was peace in the land for 80 years. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central Church. Good morning, my name is Josh Kim. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central Church, and don't you just love Fifth Sunday? That's the, the embodiment of what it means to be here on Fifth Sunday. I love that this is one day we get to gather as one in one spot, with children's voices scattered throughout. You're going to hear the wailings of a child, the tears of separation. Um, this is a family. This is a Christ Central Church as a whole. Amen? And in today's text is a perfect Fifth Sunday text. And you might be thinking like, wait, 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 this is book of Judges, right? Okay, do your job, Pastor, keep it short. Then it's perfect, but if you just read through, as Dorothy read this for us, there's much humor behind this story, isn't it? That will help all of us in this room get through this story real quickly. Um, this is a story of Ehud that's designed to be told with the laughter. So it is right for us to be 
laughing about some of the aspects of the story, and for our children to be engaged in it. But also, I don't know if you caught that or not, but there's a story of poop, right? Have you ever spent any minute or five minutes with any toddler here? Then you realize mere mention of pooping elicits so much laughter. Farting, I mean, I don't know why it's so funny, but it just, it's so funny for all these toddlers to talk about this. It's all here. It's perfectly placed in this story. Where else in the Bible story you find the story about poop, right? This is it. This is awesome. Do you hear the laughter already? Poop, right? Just think, maybe I just have to say that a couple times throughout the story and kids will be engaged. But more than anything, we hear the gospel here, right? The story of God's deliverance and rescue that we all need to hear is right here. For young, older, children, youth, we all need this story that God tells us here. A story has the most unlikely hero of them all. And this particular gospel story involves what God does, and God using a most perceived weakness of a judge to bring about God's plan of redemption. And if you ever felt like you're at a disadvantage at all times, if you ever felt like you're not getting the benefits of this society, you ever felt like you're only gifted with the weaknesses of your life in the eyes of the world, if you ever felt like you have not much to offer, and I believe all of us at Christ Central understand this really well, this is a story of hope for all of us. Because what we find in this story, church, is the most unlikely judge, someone with weakness that we all can identify with, but not only through Ehud, the judge, but the Israelites who had the weaknesses here was oppressed by this oppressor who were tired, who were ready to give up. Church, this is our collective story. So let's delve into this right away. Only two points, I promise I'll keep it short, right? The first is the most unlikely source of deliverance. It's almost every day, all day, nonstop. And song went something like this. Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol will be there on the double. When there's a problem, round Adventure Bay, Ryder and his team of pups will come and save the day. And, you know, I'm always kind of thinking, like, maybe kids will shout this out, right? Marshall, Rubble, Chase, Rocky, Zuma, Sky, and I don't know who your favorite is. My son's favorite was Chase. And he says, they're on the way. Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol. Whenever there's a trouble, here comes the pups who will save the day. The number one children's show on the TV today, followed closely by Coco Melon and Gabe's Dollhouse. If you don't know all that, talk to some of the kids here. They'll tell you all about it, right? But the premise of the show is this, that these puppies, these pups, comes to the rescue in a town full of human beings, right? You don't expect these puppies to come and rescue. In fact, in the beginning of the show, they're really cute and cuddly, and all of a sudden, they transform into these great pups that come to save the day most unlikely hero of them all are these pups of the Paw Patrol. And today's story also shows the most unlikely source of the rescue, and Ehud, the judge, embodies all of that. The scripture tells us this of Ehud in verse 15. But when the people of Israel cry out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer, a judge, to save them. His name was Ehud, son of Gera, the left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. Well, in its original Hebrew language, it actually does not read as a left-handed man. It actually reads more correctly as a man who had restrictions on his right hand. Or it could be read as a disabled in his right 
hand. It is often translated as what we just read as a left-handed man because he's only able to perhaps use his left hand. The question is, was he born left-handed? Perhaps. But in a society that was more cruel to a disability than our own, this, his left-handedness was not seen as a strength or something unique, but it was highlighted as something of a disadvantage, his weakness. So another way to say of him being left-handed is that he did not have the use of his right hand. There's one more wordplay here where Ehud is from. His tribe is Benjaminite. Benjaminite literally means a son of the right. Right? So it aptly reads something like this. Ehud, the son of the right, restricted in the right hand. Again, emphasizing the fact that he should be using his right hand, but he can't, perceiving his weakness. Furthermore, his origins from one of the more smaller tribes, sandwiched between Judah and Ephraim, two large tribes or family groups, shows that he's from a really tiny group of family in Israel. And one more to add to that, Ehud's story is sandwiched between the story of Othniel in Judges chapter 3, verse 7 through 11 that we didn't read, who was a mighty man of a valor, a son-in-law of the great warrior Caleb. Caleb and Joshua are the only two people that were allowed to go into the uh, land of Canaan. See, Othniel was in many ways a perfect judge. Following that is Ehud. And you know who follows after Ehud? A story of Shamgar is told in one verse, but the story is spectacular, right? He is able to kill 600 Philistines with ox goad on his own, right? In between this great Othniel, Shamgar, is Ehud, who is not able to use his right hand, the most unlikely source of rescue for Israelites. Not to mention the use of a deception and backhandedness of defeating the enemy's leader, we find Ehud's method the most unlikely source of God's plan. It's not something that you expect God of the universe to use or do to save the Israelites. But what we see in this story is that God will use him. God uses him. God uses his perceived weakness. And today's scripture highlights Ehud gaining his entry due to his perceived weakness to the king because he's not seen as a threat with his weak right hand, and because of his use of the left hand, the sword, the dagger is strapped to the right thigh, right? It goes like this instead of this, so that the king and the guards are like, wait, there's nothing on his left leg. Therefore, he gets the entrance to the powerful enemy. God uses the perceived weakness to overcome the seemingly powerful Israelites that have plagued the Israelites for 18 years. And if anything, what we see is God, who is the ultimate source of deliverance, rescue, reminding Israelites once again that he alone is a mighty God. He is powerful than any other gods out there. He is more powerful than any other being. He alone has the power to rescue. He alone has power to overcome despite the weaknesses of our lives. Church family, I think we need to hear that this morning. For all of us, for all age groups that are gathered here, have you ever felt like there's nothing that I could do right? Have you ever felt like you look at your own restrictions and struggles and wonder, what is God going to do with this? 
Does God really know my circumstances, all my weaknesses, all the struggles that I have? Why would God put me in this tough spot? What is God's purpose for me anyways? Do you often look and lament and thinking like, God, what's the plan for my life? Why can I not get out of this thing? And this story reminds us that here is God of the universe who reminds us again that God of the universe is at work. God of the universe is at work. And the question for us today is, are you missing it? Because you're looking for what the world calls wisdom and strength, rather than looking to God for wisdom and strength. And you should know this very well, right? The Bible tells us that Jesus was a stumbling block to both Jews and Gentiles because he did not meet their expectations. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, instead, God chose things of the world considered foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And why? As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Just notice it says God chose. God didn't just stumble upon this and say, oh man, I messed up, so I'm going to use this anyways. Right? It says God intentionally chose this method to show us his ways are higher than our ways. His wisdom is deeper than ours. And will you, O saints of God, rest in that promise this morning to say that you know better, Lord, You alone is God. What you are saying is the way, the truth, and the life. And what God is telling you today is not to say, have more faith. He's not saying that. He's not saying be stronger in what you believe. Rather, what he's telling us is in your weaknesses and brokenness, rest in the strength of God who will bring out his plan, his plan of redemption in your life. How do we do that? We do that by remembering who God is. God who worked in our lives, who is at work in our lives, and who will be work in our life. And Israelites are reminded of this promise. Don't miss this key point in verse 13. Read what it says in verse 13 with me. Eklon enlisted Ammonites and Malachites as allies. Three tribes coming against Israelites. Then he went out and defeated Israel, taking possession of what? Jericho, the city of Palms. And the Israelites served Eglon, the Moab, for 18 years. Do you catch that? In the city of Jericho, on the place of Israelites' greatest victory, in the place where they did absolutely nothing, but just shout in faith in God who crumbled the enemy. Again, they're reminded that God will use the most unlikely source to deliver Israelites, and that's a reminder for us as well this morning. Amen? Second thing we see is not only the most unlikely source of deliverance, but the most unlikely stories are told throughout this story. The most unlikely story is told throughout this story. One of the icebreakers, I've probably, you've probably done this in your small groups or youth groups or gatherings, we often say, what is your most embarrassing story of your life, right? And we go around, we start thinking, like, how can I top the next the person before me, and think about all this, the, the most embarrassing stories. And oftentimes, and I know the teenagers that are sitting here, oftentimes we often turn to our time in junior high and high school, right? Yeah, teenagers sit down and talk to some of these adults. 
Their stories probably mirror a lot of your stories, right? We all went through some of this. Perhaps it was when, again, I'm going to throw this out there so that we engage our kids, right? When, when we farted accidentally, right? Um, or sticking in the poop again in that time, or made a fool, fool of ourselves doing something that was not out of our turn. Whatever it may be, you know, there's a book that captures all that. You know, I recommend you to go read it, especially if you really want to know. I was told that if you really want to know the heart of, especially junior high students, read this book, and I started reading it too. It's called The Bestseller, A Diary of a Wimpy Kid, right? One of the most beloved bestsellers of the today. And I started reading it, and I started weeping, because I was like, this is my story. <laughs> this is my testimony. Man, you could identify so much with it. Trust me, but you read through it, our stories repeat. We know that our stories come about, and we can laugh about it now. Why? Because when it happened, while it was happening, it was painful, right? It was gut-wrenching, as the writer of The Diary of Wimpy Kid will tell you, as hence the most embarrassing moments and stories of our lives. But looking back at it, we're able to tell it with laughter, <laughs> stories of joy. And today's story is Eglon's most embarrassing, perhaps tragic story on one hand, right? We're talking about poop here again, you know? NLT is pretty much mild in the use of language here when it says, Ahad thrust the sword into Eglon's stomach and his vows emptied. That's PG version of that, right? But it literally means some of your translation would say, a dung came out. He pooped as he was dying. That's why his servants thought, well, well, it's like Eglon's not coming out. Well, I can't go in there because it's locked, but I could smell it, right? So it's, there's... Laughter there, there's smelling of this man who pooped in his death. But more accurately, this is the story of Israel's most embarrassing, yet tragic story of forgetting Yahweh, their God, and suffering as a result. And this story, as we talked about, is meant to be told to next generation upon generation. It's actually told, meant to be told with comedic elements. Here's the obese Lars Eglon with a dagger disappearing into his belly. His poop, again, there, right? His servants blindly letting the assassin escape because he, they thought, he's not dead, he's just pooping, right? All this is told with the humor, things that you probably wonder, like, that doesn't make any sense, but this is laughable event that happens. A difficult testimony is told with a hint of humor. And please note that this is not God trying to be inappropriate with us by telling us a lot about poop, right? Or this is not God falsely fat-shaming or highlighting a disability as a source of inspiration as some have falsely tried to do with this text. It's none about that, right? Rather, this text is about a story of how God brings about most unlikely story out of us. The first element of this most unlikely story is that God will mock those who oppose him. This is not a story of Ehud, the great fighter, plus Eglon, the great enemy. None of the stories we're going to read in Judges are going to be like that. Rather, this is a story about God, the God of the universe, against meager enemies that seems to think that they got it under control, but God of the universe will have his way. You see, Eglon dies in this story. And notice a small detail on this verse in verse 26. While the servants are waiting, Ehud escaped passing the stone idols. 
Do you catch that? Stone idols. These idols they're worshiping, they're idols of stone. Literally, idols of stone. In original language, idols of stone. They can't do anything to save this king. They're mere stone. Just at that, human king, stone idols, is no match for the God of the universe. Charles Spurgeon, a great pastor in England, told his congregation in 1856 this. And it's a little graphic, but there's a point to this. This is what he says. And he preached this, right? That's why I'm going to say this too. He said, He who would place himself in front of a fast-moving railway car will be crushed and will be no more foolish than you who are opposing the gospel. If the gospel is true, truth is mighty and it will prevail. Who are you to attempt to stand against it? You will be crushed. But let me tell you, when the railway car runs over you, the wheel will not be raised even an inch by your size. What are you, a tiny gnat, a creeping worm, which that wheel will crush to less than nothing, not leave you even a name as having ever been an opponent of the gospel? Let everyone in the world know surely that the gospel will win its way. Whatever they may do, Poor creatures, their efforts to oppose the gospel are not even worthy of our notice. And we need not fear that they can stop the truth. They are like a gnat who thinks he can quench the sun. Go, tiny insect, do it if you can. You will only burn your wings and die. Likewise, there may be a fly who thinks they could drink the ocean dry. Drink the ocean if you can, O oh fly. More likely, you will sink in it and it will drink you. The mockers, those who oppose God will look like they have their day. But God is at work in the history, in your life, and he will get his will done. Those who oppose him will look like little gnats, little flies. As in the story of Eglon, this is confidence and the hope that you and I could have on our God of the universe who will overcome. God will mock those who mock him, our God will be victorious in the end. That's the story that this is telling us. The second element of the story, the unlikely story that this story draws off from us, is that one day, one day, our stories of pain and suffering will be told with the laughter. One day, church, and I promise you that, not because I say so, because the scripture says so. And don't get me wrong. The oppression the Israelites felt was so real, right? It was bitter for them. It was painful. It was so real that verse 13 tells us that though Israelites did evil, meaning they went after other gods, they cried out to Yahweh to say, save me, save us. This is too much for us to bear. And just like that, I am in no way downplaying any of our sufferings today. Your suffering is real. Your pain, your oppression, our circumstances today is very difficult for us to bear. This is not God who just says, oh, just be quiet. It'll be over soon. He understands. It hurts. He's the God who weeps. He's God whose, whose God is moved with compassion. He pains him to see his people being hurt. He doesn't quickly move to the next things, he understands your pain. As writer and theologian Kate Baller of Battling Cancer once wrote, a lot of Christians like to remind me that heaven is my true home. And this is a woman that's battling a terminal cancer, right? Which makes me want to ask them if they would like to go home first, right? Church, I don't think we're like that, right? Christ Central, you're not like that. 
We know what it means to sit in the puddle of tears, weep with those who weep, and cry with those who are hurting. That's what it means to be a church. But here is also where we are reminded of 1 Thessalonians 4.13, where we are reminded, yes, we grieve, but we grieve with hope because God is at work. God will bring out his story of beauty in our story of brokenness, in my story of tears, in our story of failures, in our story of pain. So one day, perhaps not on this side of eternity, but in eternity that is to come with God, we will tell our story with laughter. As Jesus reminds us in John 16, 20, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And he has kept that promise, didn't he? While the enemies thought that they trembled Christ, they put him to death on the cross, the world rejoiced as a crucified Savior, while the disciples were lost, full of fear, dread of their future, loss of their friends, Savior their God, we were wondering, has sin has overcome us once and for all? But as a famous line goes, it's Friday. But Sunday is coming. It's Friday. But Sunday's coming, and Sunday surely came. Christ rose again, and we tell the story of Christ overcoming death once and for all with celebration, with joy. He promises the same joy when he returns in full glory, when he comes back to judge with his righteousness, with his justice. He promises that our mourning and our pain with our sin will overcome with thanksgiving, joy of celebration of His grace in our lives. And thankfully, we also get to see a glimpse of that on this side of eternity, don't we? Our embarrassing moments are told, perhaps with laughter at times. Our parenting blunders are often talked about with laughter, thinking, oh, I would never do that again. Our costly mistakes became lesson for us how God uses that to show us more of Him. A lot of our suffering stories are often told as testimonies at times of God delivering us out of depth of despair. Our trials and temptations, tribulations are told with Christ's triumph even on this side of eternity to remind us this is why you and I love testimonies because God is at work in drying out these testimonies, not only with laughter, but with tears of joy. Tears of joy because God is not done with us yet. Even the most painful moments of our lives, if we truly believe that God is at work, God does not make any mistakes, even despite the questions you and I might have, we trust in the Lord to bring out His testimony so you and I become more and more like God in anticipation of coming of our Savior. And again, don't miss this detail, right? Not downplaying any oppression the Israelites felt. It tells us that Israel was oppressed for 18 years, real 18 years of pain that did not go away. But after Ahud's victory, what does it say in verse 30? So Moab was conquered by Israel that day. There was peace in the land for 80 years. 
rest is given. Generation that suffer receives the rest, picturing for us. Again, the greater judge, perfect, most perfect judge that will come and give us eternal peace. The story is told with laughter, fond remembrance. God glorified, we rest in his grace. Amen. Talk about the most embarrassing story, right? I shared this from this puppet from before, but when I first immigrated to the States when I was 11, I went to school, I didn't know my ABCs, right? We're talking about learning English the other day, and I realized, man, you know, English is one of the most difficult languages to learn, right? For you, we're born here and receive English as your first language. But for me, I was so confused. Why do these words sound the same but spell differently? And they sound differently, but they mean the same thing. So I went to school learning only one phrase. My aunt taught me, again, using the bathroom humor here, my, ba- my aunt taught me, ask, can I go to the bathroom to survive? Right? That's all I knew. That's all I knew. I didn't know the ABCs. The first day, I was in the playground all by myself. I know, right? All by myself, right? Sitting there wondering, like, what is happening in my life? One day, I was in a, in a country that looked like people that look all like me, right? And all of a sudden, I'm in another country. I'm the only one in this whole playground that looks like me. And all of a sudden, all these kids started coming around me. And I was thinking, man, I got this, you know? Look at how people want to get to know me. And for some strange reason, I started running around the bases, right? And I thought, wow, look at this. Kids are following me. This is working. I'm leading here. My personality works here. But only to realize that I was the only Asian-American kid they ever met in their life and I was highlighted. They pointed, they laughed. For some reason, I have had a chance to share that story a lot more lately in my life. And now more than ever, I have the words to use to describe what happened. I was marginalized. It was traumatic event. It was hard. I was highlighted for my difference, not celebrated. And as my child gets to an age where I came to the States, I can't imagine a lot of our children, my child, going through something like that, right? It not only impacted me, but my entire family. Our personalities changed, our views on the world, the fear, the racism, tears, pain, followed all that. It's a painful story, actually, that's told with much laughter now. But now we also look back and see God's story of redemption despite all this. Because my dad came to know God more deeply by coming to the States. God was never done with my story. God was never done with our story. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. Is there a long way to go? Yes. But God was at work, and today I could talk about it with laughter childlike laughter because it was painful, but God is and was at work in my life. And God is still at work informing my story today. Out of the puddles of pain and tears, God is drawing out testimony of his goodness in my life. And that's what it means to follow after the Lord. You have all stories like this, Christ Central, even that of much more pain and sufferings than I could ever imagine but also testimonies upon testimonies of how God is drying out the story of his redemption in your life. 
And that is what Church of Christ is all about. Not perfect stories, not this great picture of like, look at my life, that's perfect, but rather brokenness. Share with laughter because God's faithfulness. Amen. Church, can I challenge you to do that today? In a little bit, we're going to break off into tables, sit around with fried chicken and all this stuff. But instead of just asking, hey, how are you doing? Great. Can we do this? Ask one another, hey, tell me your testimony. Tell me your story. Tell me your story of how God has brought this story upon your life. Not only of the adults that are sitting there, but even our children. They have stories too. And their stories that they share will form God's grand story upon their lives. Ask deeply your stories of suffering, pain, but also that of joy and laughter. That's Christ's central church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, that's our prayer that we gather today to do that. Not only we'll gather to share a meal, to laugh, to watch our children run around, to eat, enjoy time of fellowship, but a time where we share our stories because, Christ, you have done your work. May you be the source of our laughter, not because circumstances are changing, because you never change despite them all. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.